Uh, hello, and welcome back to the Number One Movie Podcast. I'm Brad Avery. Uh, with me, as always, is Nick Johnson. What's up, fuckers? And uh, James Donner. Hey, everyone. And joining us again from the first episode, Charlie Nash. Hi. I'm assuming, just blame all this chaos on me. <laughs> Think about how great the audio quality is now in comparison. Yeah, exactly. We have mic stands. Don't listen to the first episode. Yeah, don't do it. This Especially not if you're hi- trying to hire me. Like, don't do it. Just don't yeah. listen to it. But we do talk about Pat yeah. Jones, don't. So this is the first time I've been on this show. I was never on this show. Yes. <laughs> this is my. Who first are you time. again? I've, I've never met you no, before. I'm Charlie Nash. It's nice to meet. It's you. Great, it's it's great radio too. when we talk. about I'm Brad Avery. It's a pleasure to meet of... you. Oh, have I told you I'm how much I hate every person? <laughs> I'm Patch Adams. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I couldn't tell from the fact now, just that please, you're. Please exit the apartment through the vulva. Actually, it's an enema bulb. Yeah, it's okay. That's what I thought. It's gross. All right. I got one for my girlfriend, too. So, uh, we are here, and we are talking about the weekend of April 2nd, 1999. Nick, why don't you kick it off, as always, with what was going on in the world? Yep. So, an F-117 Nighthawk was shot down by Yugoslavian forces in the ongoing Kosovo conflict. That's probably the only serious thing I have this week in terms of, like, things that were seriously affecting the world but there are two bits of important cultural news that we should go into okay on april 1st and no this was not an april fool's joke the backstreet boys released their single i want it that way causing an unexpected nationwide orgasm which killed four i mean (laughs) seriously just rivers have come (laughs) i'm being entirely honest here millennium was the first album i ever bought with like my own money <laughs> uh, my <laughs> dad had millennium my, my dad bought millennium your dad bought millennium yeah he wanted to be hip and with the times man i specifically remember going out i got like you know an allowance or birthday money or something and i bought earthworm gym for the n64 and millennium and i listened to millennium while playing earthworm gym on the n64 that was my childhood everybody <laughs> so my first album wasn't millennium but it rhymes Willennium by Ooh. Will Smith um, has a song that samples Rock the Caspa called uh, Willennium. Wait, there's does a, it really? Yeah, there's a um, there's some things about the Will 2K. Um, I think it's pretty relevant to the Matrix as well. Um, and finally, I mean, it actually, yeah, it is. And it does. <laughs> it actually, because, speaking because considering of, the casting. of 1999, it does feature Wild Wild West, um, which I guess we'll get into later on this podcast. We will. And finally, one of the greatest PC games of our collective childhoods, Chris Sawyer Productions' Roller Coaster Tycoon was released, Aww. inspiring thousands of mini-maskers perpetuated by children. I thought you were going to say Mist, and I got all excited. Mist? <laughs> Mist came out in, like, 94, dude. No, I remember no, I reading... Didn't. Yeah. 94? Yeah. I never played Mist. <laughs> Mist... Mist totally came out. Mist was a game that I pretended I played, but actually... Yeah, 93. Oh, came out on my Christ. birthday in 1993. Well, I definitely didn't play it until like 98 or 99, so there Jeez. you go. I'm happy to say I still play Roller Coaster Tycoon. Um, you can actually purchase like the OG Roller Coaster Tycoon for like iPhone and iPad and it's like five bucks, and it's literally the full game. Um, so I've spent the last few years trying to beat it. Um, there, it reached the point where I got worried when I upgraded my iPhone that I was going to like lose all my save data, but I'm still going. Like, I'm going to beat this fucking game perfectly. How does one beat Roller Coaster Tycoon? Wait, what? You How does the one park? beat Roller Coaster Tycoon? Um, so you Tycoon? have to um, go through all of the missions. Um, so basically, you have to, like, every... There are, so there are missions. There's like, a there, story. There's actually, um, like, you you take on a park, and then you have to, like, have X uh, guests in the park by the end of year three or something, or, like, a park rating by this, or, like, build X roller coasters, um... 
but it just keeps going on and on. And eventually, like, you kind of figure out a formula to beat the game. One great one, charge people 20 cents to go to the bathroom. Um, <laughs> it works. I know it's really horrible and Is this in Europe? But... Is this a European park? <laughs> Um, I mean, you can build a roller coaster for three thousand dollars. So the currency fluctuation is like really fucked in the roller coaster. I I would always wait till it starts raining and then jack the umbrella prices up to Ooh, like twenty dollars. Genius. Box office top ten. The Mod Squad dropping down from fourth place last weekend, a fifty-seven point six percent decline. Damn! I always confuse the Mod Squad with Go. Uh, I with Sarah Polly. Oh, I like that movie. People love that movie, man. Doug Liman flick. Yeah. I Sarah Polly's great in it. For whatever reason, their posters just seem like the same thing to me. I guess they just got fused in my head together back when they were just like next to each other on the borders <laughs> I went to as a kid. Yeah, it's basically Pulp Fiction Jr. Nice. Uh, with three different stories. Sarah Polly, uh, like, I don't remember why she needs money, but she starts selling aspirin as ecstasy in like, techno clubs. Sarah Polly's a babe. I just want to say that. She's total crush. Also, Sorry. Katie Holmes is actually really good in that movie, too. Nice. All right. Yeah. Ninth place, Life is Beautiful. <laughs> Eighth place, Doug's first movie dropped down from <sighs> fifth place, a 31.3% decline. <sighs> Ugh. Doug's first movie. I saw that in theaters, I think. I did, too. I, I didn't. I rented on VHS, and I all I remember is it involves the Loch Ness Monster. Is, is that true? Yeah. Yeah, it does. Yeah. Fuck. That's all I remember of it, too. I get confused. It just felt, with... like, very off-brand from the show. I'm like, wait a minute, since when does Doug have the Loch Ness Monster? Well, everything felt off-brand about the ABC version of Doug. Yeah, because Disney bought it out or something, right? And they had to move it up to middle school, and they all went to a high school and set, like, in Phoebe, like, the high school was shaped like fucking Phoebe's head. It just became Dumb Archie. Yeah, it really did. But not even Dumb Archie who fucks. Like, so it's not Riverdale. Yeah. It's just bad Archie. Well, look, Disney's not going to buy Doug and then be like, but now we're going to make him fuck. <laughs> <laughs> Seventh place, surprised. Shakespeare in Love. Boo. Sixth place, Ed TV. Okay. Fifth place, last week's number one, Forces of Nature. Oh, wow. <laughs> That's a drop. Yeah. <laughs> you know, really great for a $75 million movie. Um, speaking of which, I texted this to all of you last night while I was watching The Matrix. Did you know that the budget for The Matrix was $12 million less than Forces of Nature? That's oh. it. That is insane. I and, and I retorted with, well, if Will Smith had started The Matrix, it would have cost $12 million more than Forces of Nature. It's true. Because Will Inion, my friend. Fourth place, analyze this. Boo. And then a string of new releases. Ooh. Third place, The (laughs) Out-of-Towners. What? From Paramount Pictures. The Out-of-Towners? It it is a Steve Martin, Goldie Hawn comedy. I have never heard of this movie. Uh, It... Oh, you, speaking of like the inflated budgets for comedies uh, at this time, this also cost $75 million. Oh my God. It had a total domestic gross of $28 million. Its opening weekend was $8 million. Yikes. I don't know how they thought these movies became profitable. Maybe they were Cocaine? banking on home video and rental sales. Does this movie exist? I, I feel know. like this movie does not exist. It, it, <laughs> it has uh, Goldie Hawn in it. So I guess it exists. From the director of uh, George of the Jungle. Jungle. D2. The Mighty Fraser has never been hotter. Yeah. Uh, In second place. (laughs) He had a loincloth. A movie that definitely exists. Ten Things I Hate About You. That's a, that is a, I've never seen that. It actually only narrowly beat out uh, Out of Towners by about $100,000. Wow. And uh, made a total gross, had a total gross $11 I remember that was, like, wasn't that supposed to be the number one movie of the weekend? 
Uh, 10 Things I Hate About You. So it uh, had a $30 million production budget, total domestic gross $38 million, uh, plus an additional $15.3 million foreign. So here's a question for you mm-hmm. about that. What happened to Joseph Gordon-Levitt? Is he still in movies? He's in yeah. LG phone commercials. Because he just Where'd disappeared. He... Yeah, no, uh, you're right. He got mm-hmm. married. <laughs> the... Well, I got married, and I didn't like retreat from culture. He yeah, but he Edward also Stone has uh, piles of money that he sleeps in every night. Well, yeah, I mean, <laughs> but it, he was, wasn't he attached to direct an adaptation of fucking Sandman? Was he? The, yeah, the he, Neil Gaiman Sandman? I think oh, he wow. left over very creative differences. Well, yeah, he, what's what happens when you have David S. Goyer writing your fucking script? It is also insane to consider, like, the movies he was doing in the early 2000s. I mean, Mysterious Skin, that, what an, he's absolutely His, his last in that big movie. movie was Snowden in 2016. I can see why that would make someone retire from film. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but uh, he, he did have, like, a cameo in Last Jedi... And he has a movie. Yeah, he does. Yeah, he did. He yeah, has he a did. movie coming out called Seventy Five Hundred. Is that like a three hundred but more people? It, a pilot's aircraft is hijacked yeah, at thirty thousand feet the by terrorists. Because they like talking about the three hundred Spartans, but they don't talk about the this what nearly what ten thousand slaves that they had with them it's fighting a, alongside the Spartans. It's a German American action thriller. German American. First place. We mentioned <laughs> it a few times. The Matrix. Hey. 27.7 million weekend box office gross on a $63 million budget from Lena and Lily Wachowski. Lana? Is it Lana? Yes. I thought it was Lana. 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 Like, like Lana Del Rey. Oh. Lena. I was saying Lena. How I, long have you been calling her Lena <laughs> out of curiosity? Know. Now, that would be... I'm, I guess I'm, like, Lana Del Rey, yeah. This sounds like a joke, but it's not. I would kill to see Lana Wachowski direct a Lana Del Rey video. It would be visually sumptuous. It would be wonderful. <laughs> and I feel like their sensibilities would merge about as well as hers did with Baz Luhrmann. Oh, Because so, well, she, she did songs for the uh, Gatsby movie. Oh, yeah, she did. I tried to block that movie out of my head. Why? It's perfectly cromulent. It's oh, better it's than the like, Redford it's version. It's like drinking a bucket of gloss. That movie is just... <laughs> I'm okay with <laughs> drinking a bucket of gloss. Also, like, I, I just had no idea what I was ever looking at because Baz Luhrmann uh, is always on coke in the editing room, apparently, and can't hold a shot for more than a second long. Still, R.I.P. The Get Down. Like, the last truly great Netflix show. original. So... Yeah. I, I'm kind of a. I like Moulin Rouge. So to start but... the discussion about the Matrix, yes. <laughs> when did everybody here first see the Matrix? Uh, I was 12 years old, and <laughs> hi everyone. Uh, that's how, yeah, that really shows my age. Uh, but the sequels were coming out, and I remember that I really wanted to see it. My dad had a copy of it on DVD and was always showing out our... He's a big tech geek and had like a big screen TV. So whenever he had adult friends over, he'd show them The Matrix. And I always just remember thinking like, oh my god, this is like must be the coolest movie ever. And then when the sequels were coming out, I eventually temper tantrum my way into like basically getting my dad to watch it with me and uh it was my first r-rated movie and uh i have to say like you know watching it when you're 12 and you know like you know it's on a you're looking at all the superficial aspects but now as a 28 year old queer identifying guy like it's kind of amazing just how all of these you know, layers this movie had were always there. And uh, watching it in this new light with, you know, Lana and Lily, you know, finally, you know, embracing who they are, uh, 
who they always were like is just in going back and looking at it is just uh it's just remarkable just that a blockbuster that this queer even exists but anyway james um so my parents um basically didn't really let me watch r-rated movies so the only way i could watch them was by sneaking them so what i would do i'd like this really cool method so i had an ikea chair um, and I would like open up, uh, I had like a little pouch underneath it that was meant to just like replace the slip covers. So I'd borrow R rated movies from friends and hide them in there. And there was like no way my mom's ever gonna be like, let's try and find those R rated movies under the chair. Um, so basically, like it was, I think I was in middle school. Um, I had like tried watching The Matrix for the first time. And I think like my sister was there and like didn't want to keep watching it. Um, so I finally got the chance. I borrowed the DVD and I watched it on my iBook. Um, and it was pretty fucking awesome. I wasn't able to go, like, all my friends were in, like, sixth grade, were able to go see the sequels, but my mom uh, and my parents just, like, wouldn't let me go see an R-rated movie, period. So I'm pretty jealous all you got to go see it in theaters. What? Um, in theaters? People got to go see it in theaters? No, the Matrix sequels. Oh, okay. Oh, Matrix yeah. Sequels. I Sorry. saw um, Revolutions in theaters. Yeah. I was I was definitely way too young to see it in, you know in 99 for sure i was yeah i wasn't old. i think i saw it in like 2003 basically nice. um, yeah it took for the sequels to come out for me to finally convince my parents to let me watch yeah my first yeah. r-rated movie in the theater was troy but we'll get to that in the 2000 <laughs> that's so funny that was my second one <laughs> but we'll get to that. <laughs> i don't we'll remember get to seeing r-rated my... movie we'll get to troy in the uh, 2024 episode of the number one movie podcast where we talk about the number one movie in america at the time but um i, I think the matrix um long story short has held up super well it's a movie that's been uh, endlessly parodied to death, like it's become like a piece of pop culture. And sometimes you watch these movies that have become so ingrained in pop culture that just doesn't hold up due to the scrutiny of the way that people analyze it mm-hmm. in pop culture. But this is a movie that's just as amazing, like even 20 years later, like everything is aged perfectly with that movie. Like the effects look amazing. Like the story's really cool. Like it moves along so well. And the movies, the other thing that's really, um, that I noticed much more is that, most of that movie is just exposition, but it's absolutely exhilarating exposition. Like, there is never a boring scene of yeah, exposition. Yeah, like, the first hour, at least, is pure exposition. Yeah. But it's not... Well, what I kind of love, though, is that it starts off with no exposition. No, I mean, well, actually, you two need to talk about how you, like, before we get into it. I mean, I, I didn't catch up with it till I was in high school, but, like, it was so ubiquitous that, like, you mentioned, like, you know, they the bullet time scene was parodied so many times Even after shrek that. i was gonna bring up shrek because i remember it in shrek oh the 360 fiona yeah they, they did that shot. and like but like it was done so many times that like i was just aware of the matrix and it was one of those things that just became like i pretty much knew the movie backwards and forwards before i ever saw it because it was just so ingrained in the culture for so long and then you know i finally watched it i'm like this is good and then re-watching it for this I'm just like, oh, this is like a fantastic movie. It's by far the best thing we've watched so far for this podcast. Oh, absolutely. And was... it's if just an amazing movie that's hold up so well. I, I think it's that. probably the best movie we'll watch this year. Probably. Wow. Eyes Wide Shut's a masterpiece. It's a great film. It is not The Matrix. It it's, not... no, it's totally different. It's apples it's and oranges. It's totally different. It's apples and oranges. Exactly. When, what I mean by that, what I'm saying by that is it's not The Matrix. It's not a movie that swept pop culture for no, the next no, no, seven plus not. years. Are you, are you telling me that Bo Trevi wasn't number one at the box office <laughs> in 1999, Nick? <laughs> what? No. 
No, I, 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 I too like the mass. Watching. The masses are clamoring for the new Claire Denis. <laughs> yeah, they're just outside with pots and pans. Just so um, they're, they're, the lines around the corner yeah. weeks in advance to get High Life tickets. Well, if you've been following any of the Boston drama about High Life not coming to the Coolidge anymore, then yes, actually, people are clamoring with pots and pans outside of the Coolidge Corner Theater for their High Life. I'm send, clamoring send all your complaints inside to the Coolidge Corner Theater. as yes. an inside mole. I'm yes. <laughs> anyway, The Matrix. Yeah. I, I uh, saw the matrix i think when i was probably 12 years old um my dad and i watched it together i was super freaked out by a number of the design issues because i was a chicken as a child well actually i mean side tangent there's some weird cronenbergian body horror there's shit in this movie that is shit. really fucked up yeah. and i don't think the that... mouth seal oh, oh yeah the mouth sealing is so like fucked. I I mean that freaked me out as a kid. I mean it didn't give me nightmares the or anything pods, like that. But that's the some bug, freaky shit. The nude pods, man. Yeah, the jacking oh, yeah, the, in the bug in him. The yeah. bug. It's all like yeah. there's some gross shit. <laughs> I, but I'll say this too. The um. So after that, like, I was obsessed. Same. I think I've yeah. seen The Matrix probably forty times. Um, over the course of my teenage years, and that was why I didn't really, I, I felt completely comfortable in not rewatching it because I can just quote dialogue at you for 10 minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, I used to, uh, when the Super Bowl trailer for Reloaded dropped, I think I watched that specific thing because you could save uh, .mov files to uh, your computer from the Apple trailer site. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think I w- saved that trailer to my computer like I did with Phantom Menace, and I think I watched it probably once a day for six months. Um, that was a 30-second spot because it just made me think, like, oh, my God, this is, looks so fucking cool. I was a member of – as a 13-year-old, I was a member of a a, a forum, a Matrix forum um, that was the single goofiest thing I think I've ever done in which a whole bunch of like-minded losers talked about, like, the spirit world and things like that and hologram projection theory or whatever. Um, but I, yeah. I, wanna, I actually want to know more about this forum. Like- it was really weird. It was a it was a forum. Um, I don't feel comfortable in giving the name of the forum on air. That's fine because I don't want to. I really don't <laughs> want people tracing anything I said or did on that forum oh, back, back to me. That, yeah, because they was find a, out your username. Yeah, I was a dumb. I don't even remember what my username was. Like I was a really dumb kid, and I was a really dumb kid trying to talk about like philosophical things was it was it just like a trading route for like people who migrated to less wrong and like got obsessed with roko's basilisk yes it was a migra it was also like a place where like and keep in mind like i'd always wanted to be like talking with people because i didn't have any friends who were into nerdy shit like i had friends who were like oh cartoons are cool but i didn't have people who i could go like oh my god let's dissect let's dissect this week's issue of batman panel by panel you know with and that was actually when batman was having a pretty dope storyline the uh bruce wayne fugitive storyline around that time which bruce wayne was framed for a murder so batman had to go in the lamb it was uh, all started off by batman the 10 cent adventure where they actually did the comic was 10 cents so i remember that being a big a big issue big deal for me that's like the same time man once you once you get on these nostalgic threads like Mm -hmm. you start pulling at other things in your head yeah um but this forum like you know what i'm gonna say it was bad but i'm gonna say it was also good because i i read a whole lot of really hitty shit really young like um you know like cornell west like baldred like all of these different wonderful philosophers um, I mean, we're fucking like even transhumanist stuff like Ray Kurzweil and, and all that back in the day. 
it was so it was all these sort of like food for thought things that just sort of expanded like your mind, even though it occasionally drifted into pseudoscientific bullshit. But yeah, I mean, I and I I stayed obsessed with it through probably until I was fifteen. I still have a bust of I have a bust of Morpheus in my room at home still, like a tiny, gentle giant bust of Morpheus. Mm-hmm. Uh, seriously, it's it's um one of my favorite. Probably one of my favorite movies, probably over over my life, I would say. It's definitely up there with like Star Wars in terms of like films that shaped the young me. You know, it, it's a big thing. Just on the thought and, and you know, thinking about digital world simulations, all that, and uh, old internet forums, I do want to. You did remind me, Nick, of the past existence of a uh, web form called. Digimon do exist, <laughs> <laughs> which is it was a forum for people who were convinced that Digimon digital monsters what? are real. How did I not know this existed? And uh, it, it's how did now, I not know that Digimon defunct. do exist? Digimon <laughs> the digital monsters. It's now defunct, but uh, in old like tent like. 13-year-old, something awful uh, weekend web piece on the front page uh, catalog some of the great posts from, from <laughs> Digimon Do Exist. Um, here's one from user Overlord Mordax, who is a global moderator. I personally follow the many worlds interpretation under string theory. Many worlds states that there are infinite number of worlds or dimensions or universes, realities, or planes, or whatever you want to call them. There's a world exactly like this one, except your computer has a blue off switch. There's a world in which you are the opposite gender. There's a world where Digimon 01 happened exactly like it did on the show. There's a world where Digimon happened, but Ty had a different Digimon partner. There's a world where Sailor Moon happened. There's a world where The Shining happened. Absolutely everything happens somewhere, anything you can think of. The guy who wrote Digimon imagined it out of his head, but no matter what he imagined, no matter what you imagined, there is a world where it happens. Every sentence you just uttered gave me a mini stroke, and I don't know what's happening right now. <laughs> um, and then the user Do you stunt... smell burning toast, Charlie? <laughs> the user stunt replies, that's impossible, though. That's like saying there's a world where there's one boy and all girls who bone him every day. It's yeah. <laughs> the first reply to that. Well, that was back in the day of the discourse where it was like the entire film discourse was first on oh my AICM God. Yeah. Talkback. Yeah. Oh, remember people who would bump threads? You would just be bumped bump, so, bump. in order to push it my, back. My father yeah. still bumps text messages when I told him. Uh, <laughs> I mean, there are still people, I mean, me included, um, who say plus one. Um, you know, just like a good old homage to Google Plus. Yeah, um, man. When they agree with something, so that's another trend. <laughs> R.I.P. Google Plus. Be fucking dead. <laughs> uh, soon. So, so Charlie, since you you are tight on time here, may not be able to finish yeah. the episode. What are what are some of your thoughts on the Matrix that you wanted well, to get out? I guess I wanted to comment on the fact that we mentioned that the first hour is exposition, and there is a lot of exposition. But what I kind of love about it, and what I wasn't even thinking about until I rewatched it recently, is how much of this movie they just is action that they don't tell you where where they don't explain what's going on i mean the movie starts with this phone call against the coding and you don't know who's talking you've not been introduced to these characters all of a sudden carrie ann moss is kicking the shit out of some cops they're leaping off you know leaping from skyscraper to skyscraper and it's physically impossible and they're not explaining that you know you cut to keanu reeves at a computer he's getting weird messages from these people he's getting phone calls from this guy named morpheus he gets brought into an office hugo weaving tells him he doesn't need a phone call if he can't speak his mouth shuts up they put a bug in him it's like what the 
fuck is happening? Like, there's so much, like, like, it's so audacious, and we don't tell stories like this anymore. Imagine if you pitched a movie where, you know, like, oh, yeah, uh, suddenly someone's mouth is just going to seal up. And this uh, robot thing is going to crawl into his belly button. Like, and we're not going to explain it. <laughs> like, like nobody would take these kind of chances anymore. And then it's also just, it's, it's insane how these mo- it tries to be, it, it basically is five different movies all at once. And it should be overstuffed and not work, but it does. It's a sci-fi movie. It's a kung fu movie. It's a traditional hexen movie. It's a film noir. It's a queer allegory. And mm. yeah. But. Well, it's interesting too, because unlike something like Star Wars, its antecedents are less well-known to the populace by this time. Like, cause everyone had pretty much an experience, especially in the seventies and whatnot with like Commander Cody or with Flash Gordon or with all of these different types of sci-fi tropes. But anime is still this weird underground thing at that point. Mm-hmm. Kung fu movies are right. are kung fu fighting, like the fucking song from the 70s. Like, all of these things suddenly... Everybody I'm was teasing. kung fu fighting. <laughs> yeah, so... But the Wachowskis just sort of figured out how to put this thing together into right. a special sauce that was instantly attractive to a... Like a populace that was totally fucking starved of of this kind of meaningful action. You've you've got William Gibson cyberpunk in there. Yes. You've got and I don't know you've why you've got like intro to philosophy type of ideas yeah. that like really like resonate well to elevate uh, the allegory of movie. the cave. The yeah. uh, oh and, yeah, and you know what's interesting too? I mean, especially I I don't understand why anyone would try to adapt Neuromancer after this because you're not going to. Like, I'm sorry, like. I don't know how you make a Neuromancer when you have both Blade Runner and The Matrix in the world. Right, right. Or Snow Crash, too. Yeah, like it's, exactly. It's, the Matrix, honestly, does does it better. It, it does would it be, better. It would be John Carter syndrome. It would, it would literally be like, everything is taken from this. This thing will now not look original to an audience. Right, right, right. Um, and it's it's just so fucking like smart man in terms of its direction in terms of in terms of the way the plots go and uh, the great thing about the Wachowskis too I will say this this was a lot of fucking work on their part in terms of the um you know in terms of getting this thing ready I mean what they had this script written for six plus years yeah they, and they, they were had kept it, on revising I think they it. had it written before Bound but, yep. yeah oh they had to they made Bound which is also a great movie in order to prove to Warner Brothers that they were capable right because they this. they had been doing screenwriting before and like Richard Donner directed some of their stuff and I actually um tried to get their name alone in there too in yeah they had they, <laughs> like that was like a case where they wanted their name taken off the script too because Assassins it, is a garbage movie yeah because it, they just changed it so much we talked about this on the one of the payback episodes yeah because uh brian helgeland came in and rewrote that but uh you know they had been working as sort of spec script writers and, and doing you know so they they kind of established their name in hollywood a little bit and then they have this really audacious screenplay that is going to demand a very large budget in order to do and but they the... but they did not want to let anyone else direct it but the other smart thing the wachowskis did was they hired a comic book writer they, uh, a comic book artist to do a shot by shot screenplay uh, adapt adaptation of the screenplay as their storyboarding. Mm. So they had every single shot of this planned out, every single concept, every single design, every single um, aspect going into it. And if you buy the original Art of the Matrix hardcover, it has the entire fucking storyboarded film in it. And because it was done by Jeff Darrow, who is this incredible, like he did hard boiled 
which is this Frank Miller comic that Ben Wheatley wants to make into yeah. a movie. And it's it's so, so like before they had any casting, before they had any people, like Neo basically looks like the lead singer of Death Clock from fucking Metalocalypse in this in in the uh, storyboarding. And it's so that was another big proof of concept thing that they tried their damnedest to get across to people in their quest to make this film. You know, I don't understand why more filmmakers don't do that. Like they had that commission and took that to Warner Brothers as part of a pitch document. Right. And that, so they that could makes basically see the whole fucking film before they even greenlit it. Yeah. And it, it brings to mind like Kurosawa, like having every storyboard for Ron being a painting. Yeah. In order to like just communicate that. But of course, it's a bit of a different case because this is just that's a brilliant stroke in order to get your movie made when you are first time or second time directors asking for a pretty large budget. Yeah. In order, you know, in saying take a take a risk on this really weird concept and we'll make it pay off but it's also cool because it's one of those things where it it's it's an inspirational thing it's like you know it's like with bullet time with with all that stuff it's basically we need this effect done now you find the technology to make it happen and that's a that's it that's a challenge you know that's the kind of thing that like inspires shit like the space race you know it's like we need to go to fucking we need to put a man in orbit Right, because they need a hundred cameras to do that shot. It is incredible, and and just watching this, the I, I highly recommend to go anybody who is interested in the Matrix or interested in how they made this film to go seek out the Matrix Revisited, which is a really cool, I think, about two hour doc about the making of the Matrix all the way from there. It's it's a contemporaneous film. I think it came out maybe a, a year or two after the first Matrix. And I think it was sold as a separate DVD. It was. I remember so, seeing it in stores. you know, um, that was a, a big deal. And I, I think, seriously, it's it's if you're interested in how effects happened, about how they built sets, about how, you know, what design choices influenced them, I, I highly recommend you seek it out. It was It's one of those movies where it really inspired... A, a kid like me to learn more about the craft of filmmaking. It was mm-hmm. up there with my like fucking Lucasfilm archive books as a, as a child. It so. looks amazing too. Like the look of this film, I love how it's got. It almost, I mean, it, it's got several, uh, you know, kind of a few different looks. But like the film noir imagery, uh, especially in the beginning with the rainy metropolis that they're in. Um, uh, Bill Pope did the cinematography, and I, I think it very much holds up and in makes bold choices in the color schemes that I feel like a lot of filmmakers would like really fuck up now. Like, I mean, I feel like Zack Snyder took all the wrong lessons from this type of imagery uh yeah uh just watching it as an adult now it as someone who is out of the closet obviously when i was 12 i wasn't you know like i wasn't really interested in sex obviously but like i didn't you know i had no uh you know real sense of who i was yet and uh, just kind of revisit this movie that like nick meant so much to me as a kid and now as someone who is openly queer like just seeing all of the layers here and all of the allegories that um were just so intricately intertwined with the story uh kate and mark gardner wrote an amazing piece for movie called seeing transgender lana and lily's uh wachowski's the matrix and there's certain i i never viewed this film quite in the ways that this article so brilliantly articulates like you know the you're uh, waking up in a, you know, your real body, you know, like, um, and the fact that Mr. Smith dead names Neo the entire time and by calling him Mr. Anderson. And that is the big emotional, like, climax for him to tell him his real name and just, you know, push him off. 
it, when they're when he's about to like hold him down and have him get hit by a train, which I have been told uh, is comes from a very personal place of I don't remember if it's Lana or Lily, but apparently that moment came from a, a very dark moment of suicidal ideation from one of them. Even the side characters like. Like Joe Pantoliano as um, Cypher, who is terrific in this movie. He's just, I mean, he's such a weasel and he's so good at being a weasel. He's such a men's rights activist, right? Like, kind of like, you know, I just like things the way they are. I like the things the way they used to be. I just, I don't mind having the cloth over my head. And if I have to, you know, toss everyone under the bus, then that's fine. You know, like, even that stuff, just looking at things, knowing, you know, more about the world I inhabit as an adult, it it, it still holds up. There's even a metaphor about, like, the oppression that's going to come with coming out because in order to live in the real world, in the Matrix, you have to go enter this machine-controlled dystopia. Yeah. But it's it's the fact of living the truth and, you know, li- you know knowing the truth and embracing that that is more important. And, you know, I think there's a, a real poignant metaphor there for the fact that, like, for a trans person to come out like that's knowing that you're you're likely or almost certainly going to be facing oppression but it's something that has to be done you Mm -hmm. have to live truthfully yeah the real world is hard it's a hard life i mean they're eating slop every day too like they're drinking out of like they don't make coming out they don't present it as something that's easy by any means even in their you know even in terms of like sci-fi world building but um, it's the only way one can discover their true power exactly yeah, exactly exactly. exactly and that's and that's what you know puts makes neo in the matrix you know eventually become this jesus figure of like all you know all knowing all powerful in a way within the context of the of the storyline there was also, literally probably oh, one of the best science fiction endings where he just takes flight like that just yeah, gives me so fucking, fucking goosebumps cool. thinking about wake up by rage yeah. against the machine. So which, sick. <laughs> yeah, it's not all the music. The one thing I will say, not all the music choices that the Matrix films selected hold up uh, in terms of like the Rob they Zombie age. fucking does. Yeah, no, no, Dragula. I had all the soundtracks, and there's some <laughs> new metal that doesn't hold up, but that that ending to rage against the machine is still as badass as it was back in the day also oh one God. one more thing real quick because i do have to get going soon but uh belinda mcclory who played switch the character of switch was initially supposed to be played by um two different actors and it was supposed to be um a man in the matrix and a woman in the real world and cool. they even pitched that to warner brothers but warner brothers was like no we're not doing it so like even back then they had an idea as to what they wanted this to represent in terms of it being well this, this is kind back when people were just regularly still using the f word on the street yeah you know yeah, like, yeah. This and is... and we've just seen it in several of the films we've been watching how yeah. casual comes up you know what i feel like this is a time in which, uh, you know, we've been discussing some of the hittier aspects. I feel like it's just time to shout out, like, on a bare-bones fucking level, how good this movie is in terms of its casting and in terms of its its uh, just bare-bones structure. Hugo Weaving in this movie is incredible. He's amazing. He's the basically the physical embodiment of fucking authority. Mm-hmm. And he's so good in his accent, the way he talks, the way he moves, the way he fights... I mean, it's just so so cool. And shout out to you and Wo Ping who choreographed the the uh, the fight scenes in the film, the uh, both this film and the sequels. Didn't they have to fight like hell to get him too? Yes, 
And yeah. um, I believe he also choreographed Keanu Reeves' own directorial debut, Man of Tai Chi. Oh. Um, he's, you know, one of the greatest choreographers in history at this point. I mean, and he put basically, this is a masterstroke from him. This is his starry night. You know what other performance I, I really appreciated this time around? And it made me kind of sad that she passed away at far too young of an age as Gloria Foster as the yeah, Oracle. she's is, so, good. Oh, so good. It's one scene and she manages to turn what could be a very problematic stereotype into someone that is just so warm and yet gives you tough love at the same time and she's like you know the, the whole movie like it's like you know this all powerful being and then yeah to have I, I think if you pitched it today it probably wouldn't work but the the performance itself is just so I mean there's so much going on in that scene and you know like just the in terms of talking about how smart it is, is, oh, don't mind, the, you know, one moment that I love is, oh, don't mind the vase. You know, what vase? That vase. Correct. And then, yeah. you know, what's really going to cook your noodle is God. when you have knocked it over if I had said anything. I know. Yeah. <laughs> you know what? I, I will also say that it's interesting to me, especially in comparison to a bunch of the other films that came out around this time, like Dark City, which the mm. uh, Matrix actually used sets from in the making of this film, which is very funny. Uh, to existence is that you can reductively reduce them down to an element. How do I put this? A boring white man is has his life expanded by the introduction of a woman into his life. But I feel like the Matrix avoids all of that by so heavily identifying with the the oppressed. Yeah, in mm-hmm. all forms. I was well, really impressed by how diverse the cast of the movie was in general. I think that's the point. Oh, yeah, it's, and the sequels on top of that. Well, think about what came out in 1999, and just think about these themes that we're talking about at the end of the millennium. What comes out this year? Fight Club, mm-hmm. Office Space, mm-hmm. Being John Malkovich, mm-hmm. American Beauty. Mm-hmm. On top of that, you know, mentioned Existence. Uh, the Matrix really, you know, comes out at this time where we're talking, you know, these movies about white men stuck in office jobs that feel that they're somehow, you know, sucking their souls or dehumanizing them in some way. But the Matrix is the one that really seems to get at it the best because it gets at, like you said, it it's aligns with the oppressed. And because it's this queer allegory, because it's about all these other broader themes. Yeah, it's about the literal machinations of white patriarchy that is oh, keeping yeah. people in place. And the fact that the arbiter of intelligence on both sides, of emotional and physical intelligence on both sides of the coin here, are represented by a black man and a black woman yep. are, are interesting as well. Uh, I'm sorry, guys. I have to get going. But uh, thanks for having me on. Yeah, Charlie is yeah. currently, uh, I don't know if it's jacking out or jacking off, but he's, uh, he's leaving. That's He's gross. Flying out into the into Look, the world Nick, of the we'll machines. Nick, there's a phone booth that uh, it's ringing. I just it. I'm flying away. All right, take off, Charlie. <laughs> but yeah, I, I think it's interesting because we're going to talk about Fight Club later this year. It did get to number one, and so we'll cover that. But just com- compare and contrast this movie with Fight Club and a lot of what's going on. Dual identities, this kind of sense that the the world you grew up in has been a lie in some sense and that you've been lied to. You've been deceived by what is in the Matrix, the entirety of society, and in Fight Club, kind of this consumerist commodity 
fetishist society. And the way those two films go at it in these completely different ways and how Fight Club is so steeped in white male masculinity and The Matrix is this diverse vision of, like you said, the, like the patriarchal structure that's holding people down. You know, Fight Club goes for the patriarchy, but it gets lost in, you know, in its own focus on masculinity and purely on masculinity. Yeah, you can't tell me for a single second that any of those guys wouldn't kill to be the fucking men that they hate. That's the that's the like, key difference between the Matrix at this point. But that, I think that, I think know. part of that is like the satire of Fight Club. Yeah, I, I, I agree. Obviously, Fight Club is the type of thing where it's like, we know it's misunderstood and misread constantly. Yeah. We know that Fincher's intentions are very much, you know, critiquing this and all that but he is so easily misconstrued yeah, so when people like take fight club like dead seriously yeah like, if someone has a fight club poster in their dorm it's probably because they take the movie dead seriously yeah and i'll admit it but that's the same but i will say that may is what makes the matrix better agit prop exactly exactly is that there's no room for subtlety right it's just but, and, but and yet but, that, but, still the, but also like i will say also like fight club the matrix has been misinterpreted and appropriated by the men's right groups yeah and who who claim that seeing the truth means seeing that everyone is you know that feminized society is whatever you know and it's bullshit i mean it's it's antithetical it's, it's literally like the most hardcore misreading of the text that one can possibly get um right right exactly it, it it's it just goes to show that they're going to take it no matter what uh, out of context i think fight club just makes it easier for them yep um is the thing you know because the red pill as like an idea is so divorced from the actual themes of the matrix it's just the one it's just the core idea of waking up to realize the world wasn't what you thought it was yeah which for them they they interpret in this very distorted way and the matrix is all about kind of seeking that clarity and you know seeing the truth and so if you boil it down to just that core concept with everything else extracted from it then yeah it's easy to to take that and translate to something it's the stands for the exact opposite values that the matrix upholds fight club makes it much messier because it gets really bogged down in this kind of satirical attempt to show how movement leaders are often just self-serving and, you know, and how someone like Tyler Durden, like you said, he, that they would just kill to be the person that they hate. But it's interesting, too, in that we have Fincher acting as a filter between us and the queer author, mm-hmm. which is another another layering yeah. of perspective that isn't here in The Matrix. It's just a direct a direct feed from two, uh, two queer authors. Um, and I think that is another thing, another aspect of why there's the subtlety is just totally gone. Right. And, and I, I, you know, I, I credit it, man. I think that's, I think it's a cool fucking perspective. You know, I really think that this movie is just so fucking good. I mean, everything from top to bottom is just, there's, I mean, I don't even know if there's like a false note in this thing because even when people made fun of Reeves for being in this for like, he's great. He he is excellent in this. He's perfect in this. People, him being quizzical, him saying, whoa. I mean, like, dude's got a good fucking personality for this. I just think it's so funny, though, just that this one year, 1999, and, you know, coming on the millennium, and this is really like the Microsoft age. This is when Microsoft was the dominant name in computers and Apple was still kind of a joke. And we saw this wave of films, you know, like the ones I mentioned that go into the, these concepts of you know what is reality 
you know, what are we doing with our lives? Is this, you know, is this kind of consumerist corporate structure, the the type of world we want to be living in? These questions are coming up a lot in this time period, like in this this particular year really sticks out because what one best picture American beauty, which is, you know, obviously more grounded in a reality, but it is about largely a middle-aged white man who has a midlife crisis because he hates his office job and decides to just, you know, start doing what he wants to do and live the way he wants to be. There's, you know, a lot of uh, fucked up themes that go with that, but it's the same basic concept and the same idea that's being brought to the forefront here uh, that we're dealing with, or being John Malkovich is the exact same thing and brings in that, you know, again, that, that headspace surrealist, uh, you know, reality being altered type of uh, plot point into it. But still it's, it's all about offices and the, the struggle to uh, exist outside of that structure. And it's also interesting too, in, in the sense that the Wachowskis had a weird sense of this was as good as it was going to get as well in the matrix like watching it in 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 retrospect when when we start hearing like oh they wanted to center it around the time when society was at its most perfect or when in terms of like it's it's uh i don't know if this is a concept they elaborate on in the sequels but they really wanted to set 1999 as the permanent era in the matrix because it was before the last era before strife had hit us. And that is such a crazy thought to have pre nine 11. I mean, just, just anticipating that because frankly, I think pretty much all of us would want to go back to that kind of stability, that kind of, you know, I mean, it's the whole end of history period. Exactly. That, 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 I think that's why it was coming up so much is it's in that, that there's no, enemy and then 9-11 happens and it gives a you know at least gives this uniting idea of the war on terror that they can at least try and sell and and that really just brings in the whole wave of cynicism and hyper awareness and depravity yeah it's really fucked up let's think about other things um i think the wachowskis in general their movies have really benefited from uh re-evaluation i think that the matrix is the one that people actually liked upon release. Mm-hmm. Um, if we consider everything they've made since, it's taken a while for Speed Racer to get its due. It's gonna take a while for Jupiter Ascending to get its due. I don't think they've released a film since The Matrix that was like well received. No, I mean they've the. I guess they sold their uh, studio in Chicago recently, um, where they did a lot of mastering. Um, and there's a rumor that I guess they've retired from filmmaking. I know Warner Brothers severed their relationship. After Jupiter Ascending lost him a hundred million dollars, yeah, and, and then Speed Racer did too, and then Sense Eight got canceled. Although uh, fan, drive I mean, but that, ma- let them but that's more it. of a Netflix. Just like I mean, Netflix's cancellation shit is so like bizarre yeah. and like poorly reported. It's all just very arbitrary bullshit. Um, yep, and their only line of defense between them and their fucking decisions is their social media manager. Which is, I mean, insane. An insane press strategy. As a social media yeah. manager, that is the most fucking boneheaded thing you could do imaginable. Like, talk about Netflix. Yeah, Reed yeah. Hastings needs to personally announce these cancellations and take the blame for all of them. Yeah, because uh, you know what? It's uh, it's not 
you know, just having one dickhead behind the Netflix account who makes memes trying to go out and say, oh, one, the reason we're canceling one day at a time is because it doesn't really have viewership. But for all of you who were touched by this story, we just have to say that we hope. It's one of the most amazing miscalculations I've ever seen on social media. And that was, but that, that fell to like a dumbass, like 20 year old sitting yeah. behind a keyboard. And you I know? mean, and it's so, it was so clearly you saw them. We're, we're going to get so much shit for canceling this. We got to preempt this. We got to, like, say some message. And that just made it so much well, worse. Well, the other reason it's such bullshit as well is because at least with, like, the Wachowskis and them kind of falling out with Hollywood, like... You have grosses. You have show. numbers behind it. I mean, right. I, I you... enjoy their post-Matrix output. I think Speed Racer is exactly what they set out to make. It's not perfect. Their attempts to pander to kids are often painful, um, but it's definitely part of the aesthetics they were going for. And honestly, that movie looks fucking incredible. Um and I think Jupiter Ascending is, like, a really awesome, like, goofy camp movie. Um, and it does so many things right. And it just sucks because I love their vision. And I feel like we all kind of chased it with the pitchfork out of Hollywood. And and it's just because they, you know, with The Matrix, like you were talking about earlier, Nick, about how it blends all these different genres and ideas together to make this perfect storm. And that's what they do. I mean, that's their style. But the problem is, in order to do that, it's going to be... You're going to create stuff that's really alienating to the broader mainstream. The fact that the Matrix just did it in the exact right way that it hit and clicked with people um, is sort of just that lightning strikes once moment. Like it packages all that weirdness Because because what they do afterwards is not – it's still the same – approach to filmmaking but it's just those ideas just just don't resonate with the mainstream and it's why every si- well, single thing they've done does, since has been so um, either critically reviled or a f- massive flop but it's visual style because it's so hardcore trying to replicate a cartoon and they do a brilliant job at replicating the visual style of a cartoon with live action but it's so like candy color like so many flashing lights like so many non-stop transitions that it is almost headache inducing for a lot of people yeah and it's a thought exercise like it's not so much an actual movie like it's like it it feels at times like a tech demo and speed racer yeah yeah and i don't mean that in a negative way it's just like the adrenaline's there the things are there but you know i I think they were trying to like one up all the technical achievements that on the matrix and i think at times they at times they get there and once you're out of the you know once, once, but once you're out of the race sequences, the movie is just so fucking bad. Yeah, everything that attempts to have jokes. and Emil Hirsch's casting, oh, he's, is, he's pretty he's bad, terrible. I mean, it's he's also terrible. pretty ballsy. They made like a 150 million dollar anti capitalist kids movie about yeah. the evils of larger corporations. I need how, to rewatch Speed like, Racer. How like vertical integration is like deeply evil. Jupiter Ascending got even the shitty end of the stick too. That got a horrible end of the stick. <laughs> I I really enjoy Jupiter Ascending. I mean, you know, and then there's Cloud Atlas in between all that, and then the but controversy Atlas, that came up with that. But Cloud Atlas was watching. different um, because I mean that was a situation. I was just looking this up. Um, so that was actually an independent film. Um, yeah. Warner Brothers hardly shelled out any money for. It. Like that's really a, that's they a distributed huge, it. It was financed a, entirely by German. It's a it's meant to yeah. It's a tax like, credit movie to be the biggest German blockbuster of all time. So it was financed by a bunch of like smaller German studios. Then Warner Brothers took up like a tiny percent of it as well um but i think it was just such like a crazy risky movie that you couldn't fund through the studio system even if you have the wachowskis blank checks that they basically unlocked through the matrix well it's them and tom Tickwer. i mean who are like that's that's antithetical to making money yeah like and and 
you know, Cloud Atlas. I'll rep Cloud Atlas too. I think the I think the it's the things that it, and this is just the perspective of one dumbass white guy. But I feel like its intentions sort of over overweigh the the bare bones level concerns. Um, there, I mean, I think it's not the best in terms of its in terms of that. But I I don't know. I like Cloud Atlas. Um, and it's a shame because they're such talented filmmakers, and I feel like they could, if they wanted to, like they could totally get out of director jail and just agree to do a DC movie, and then they'd probably get like the blank check to make like a sixty million dollar movie again. They just need to do like um, a fucking Plastic Man movie. But I also don't yeah. think that they really want to do that. I know, and you know, and it's like DC actually would be the perfect place for them to go because obviously they've been taking a bit more risk on their superhero stuff because after they've been trying to get it right for so long yeah. that they're they're only now starting to really click with stuff and part of that is that like aquaman is so strange in itself that they they they're kind of given some more leeway with the directors it seems to to do some otter output so the, the wachowskis will be perfect for there's that there's no room for any auteurs at marvel aside from no no aside from kevin feige yeah no um, they that you your creative voice just gets plowed and I, I i hate when i use the word auteur but you just to you know, as a creative, singular creative force behind filmmaking, it's right. hard to hard to right. use anything else. But um, yeah, but I and I'll say that I'm a fan of Feige's attempts to make this cohesive universe, and I think that's interesting. But it definitely starves some of the smaller of, of the different films from any uh, you know from any creative life of their own. Um, but yeah, there's I think The Matrix is about as good as movie making gets. I mean, especially in terms of blockbusters. And yeah, exactly. Oh yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I think for a, a generation like us, for like ours, this was probably it wasn't our Star Wars. But I'm trying to think of another movie that came out in say the 80s or the 70s that pulled together so many influences and expanded so many people's minds, like in the sense that it got people to like go out and investigate new cultures or it got people to go out and check out new kinds of filmmaking that they never there witnessed before. You could say maybe in the 2000s or the 2010s, uh, 2000s, 2010s. Well, the great thing about the diversification of media is that everybody has their own yeah. particular thing now. Like that thing is so separated because there's going to be some 15 year old kid that sneaks into high life because he reads about it online and thinks, Oh wow. And then goes and discovers a boy and his dog. Or goes and discovers um, all of the crazy, you know, psychosexual films of the 70s and 80s, like Logan's Run or Altered States or, you know, whatever, from all of that. And then goes into French cinema through Denis. And then goes into, you know, Pattinson to get into James Gray and to get into the Safdie brothers. I mean, there, there are all these sort of things that are neural networks. But the only thing is that The Matrix, at its specific point in film history is this broadening of a whole generations of nerds culture pulls in comic books, pulls in manga, pulls in philosophy, pulls in Kung Fu movies, pulls in film noir, pulls in all this different shit. And I think as we've seen, you know, going through these box office returns and seeing what else was out there at the time, what constituted an action movie at the time, it's such a radical departure and it's coming at the cusp of the superhero era because Next year, in 2000, X-Men and then Spider-Man, suddenly these nerd things start going mainstream. And, you know, it's, you know... This was in the dark ages for nerddom. I mean, seriously, Batman and Robin had killed the fucking superhero movie. Yep. 
So I'm I'm starting to wonder now, like, what was the last time where a studio? I mean, so I I guess that Warner Brothers greenlit this movie at sixty million dollars. Like, you know what? This could be a hit. Um, when was the last time like a studio really did that and actually spawned an action franchise based on an original concept? Maybe John Wick. That was actually just like an original like. I mean, yeah, obviously, like movie. not of that scale. Not of that but... scale, but the last time just in, like it's a really low bar we're trying to clear right now. Right. No, <laughs> no, no, no really, that's fair. That's no fair. one's really taken. Like, I mean, besides maybe Inception, which was the last time. Yeah, that was yeah. what I was going to yeah, say. Yeah, it didn't spawn a franchise, but it absolutely didn't spawn Inception. A and I bet like Warner Bros. like, please make Inception 2. Please, pretty please. Um, But yeah, no. Avatar. Yeah. What? Avatar. Avatar. Oh yeah, I'm saying it like Schwarzenegger said it. At the yeah, 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 yeah. No, <laughs> Passion yeah. of the Christ. That's and gonna that's be interesting. <laughs> Avatar is gonna be interesting because everyone's kind of already like moved into Avatar as a joke mode. But I, y- you can't count out James Cameron. He hasn't made a movie since Avatar, and he's been working on this thing for like almost like a decade and a half now. I just feel like when Avatar two comes out, don't be surprised if suddenly Avatar. Cr- uh, like mania comes back That's oh no there i can guarantee you it is yeah. stewing beneath the surface yeah. because the overwhelming criti- positive critical response to avatar in 2009 where i mean i can only think of one critic in the my mind's eye who is now disgraced and a horrible asshole uh who said this movie was bullshit when it came out and uh, that was a, a fella named uh, Fevin Durarchi. Mm-hmm. Um, that's all I can remember. Was he saw it? But yeah, no. Fucking butt uh, pe- numbathon. People, people loved Avatar at the time. Um, it was massive for about two years. I saw and then it in kind of three times. Out. Yeah, and I mean, so there's been this delay on the on the sequels. It keeps getting they keep getting pushed back. But there's between them all, I think there's it has like over a billion dollar budget between all those movies. And uh, I'm just saying, like, never count James Cameron down for the count. Like, people thought Titanic was going to be a joke at the time, and people nope, thought made, Avatar was going to made be a all joke. the money in the world. People thought Alita was going to be a joke. People yeah. thought, you know, pretty much everything that James Cameron has ever d- ever that's done. The yep. other thing that I'm realizing now, like all these original movies besides John Wick um, that we're talking about, those are from established filmmakers, right. Who have worked their way up the Hollywood system and. Those movies are costing $150 million at the least. Yeah, versus Wachowskis, who basically made Bound as a pilot so that they could make The Matrix. The only other thing that I will say in comparison that I can think of, and this is this was based on a sure thing in retrospect, but I will say that it is not a sure thing once you go back and look at contemporaneous coverage of, of how this was received and the director's uh, pedigree was probably the Lord of the Rings. Oh, yeah. Because of PJ. PJ just did the fucking Frighteners. Yeah. I mean, he was an unknown. He was a wild I think card. think he had Heavenly Creatures under his belt. He did. Well, he had Heavenly yeah. Creatures, and he had all of his fucking gore films from in Z. Yeah. Well, the other crazy thing was that um, I know New Line basically bet the house on that movie. Yes. Oh, yeah. Because New Line had already had one of... They had some of their worst years ever. Um, Town of Country just come out. The studio was basically on the verge of bankruptcy. If those movies bombed... Um, like this was a like a three hundred million dollar bet, then New Line would be over. And it seems like such smart thinking back in the day, but you've given the company's keys over to a New Zealand splatter filmmaker to make a three hundred million plus adaptation of a nine series of an, uh, yeah nine hour <laughs> and probably if they were released as they were supposed to a twelve hour adaptation of yep. a fucking hippie book. 
like for the nerdiest of nerds. Yes, fantasy movies did not exist then. Just remember that, everyone. When next time you think about Lord of the Rings, fantasy was a joke. Fantasy was a thing that you would like. A literally, it was Willow or it was a Corman. It picture. was Xena, warrior princess yes. on TV. It was bullshit. It helped that Harry Potter did come not, out a month before Lord of the Rings. Yeah, I'm not even um, dissing Xena. I'm just saying like it was relegated to TV. Like, but Harry Potter was more of a sure thing because Harry Potter was still relevant. Harry Potter was at like the was at the the tippity top of the pops, man. Like the only person who cared about Lord of the Rings, I think of my childhood was my aunt, and my aunt spoke Klingon, which Holy will tell shit. you like what kind yeah, of person this bad. is. Yeah, I mean, I also and I love my aunt. Don't get me wrong, I love yeah, you, no, aunt no, Nancy. It was for the nerdiest of nerds. I that, feel that like is, that um, that's true. the same way it might be for the new Dune movie coming out. So you have like a really yes. great director. Oh, yeah. And I think that's is, what they're hoping for. Yeah. Like it, it's, you have a really great director. I'm not a fan of all his movies, but I would like, say I'm, or... I'm really excited for his take. Like you have a studio who's willing to probably uh, there's, I don't know how much they're going to spend on this. And like, I feel like it's going to be around like 150. I would say arrivals close to that. Well, I think, I think what's interesting is you can see all like the, the false starts that they've tried and they, they throw a hundred million dollars into a big action uh, blockbuster that just doesn't make any sort of resonance or all these fantasy movies that like just seem to come and go that uh y- y- you know like a robin hood here or a prince of persia a there or like a hercules movie <laughs> here and there and like you know not all of those hercules movies are in terrible. new york yeah but those the are all based hercules is. but but i'm just like i'm you know not even all of them are bad a lot of them are or like Remember that movie Seventh Son with Jeff Bridges? Yeah, like, oh, like what is that? Like, what was that for? Who was that for? Like, what were they trying to do with hey, it? But they're so, trying to make launch these franchises. They're trying to favorite? to throw what at like a hundred million dollars at the wall, and if it sticks, well, then that's like a multi billion dollar. Your franchise. last major fantasy film before that, Conan the Barbarian. Oh shit! Okay, I saw Conan the Barbarian in theaters. I enjoy that movie ironically because it's so fucking. Well, the eighty-two bad. Conan. That's what I'm saying. Oh, Your about the last remake. major fantasy movie? I thought we were talking about the really no, shitty no, Millennium no, Films. Not the movie. Momoa Conan. The Momoa Conan is terrible. I love I, the 82 Conan. The Momoa one's so bad. So what I was also going to say was Seventh Son came out at the same time as Jupiter Ascending, which, fair enough, is another attempt at launching an original franchise that Warner Brothers also spent like $200 million on because um, they just used the Wachowskis' clout. But even then, it's them using the Wachowskis' clout to try and make something and not giving the, the chance to make something original to, like, a smaller filmmaker who could basically just blow the doors off and, like, unlock something totally new. But Seventh Son and uh, Jupiter Ascending are, an, are... It's really special they came out at the same time because um, the Oscars were, like, a week after it came out. Julianne Moore won Best Actress, and Eddie Redmayne one best actor oh my god and they yeah. basically they both had like a series of like of like fantasy flops just drop at the box office <laughs> like a week before their victories yeah well but at least eddie redmayne's memorable in that movie people shit on his performance but it's fucking fantastic well i think we we covered a lot so we we've got two more weeks of discussion coming up about the matrix so i think we can wrap it here for this this week yeah and if this podcast keeps going until 2003 we're gonna have another six weeks of discussion about this i'm just gonna say this right off the bat i think the entire matrix trilogy is good and i think you I'm guys excited. Are... i haven't seen the sequels actually so i'm i'm ex- i've seen i've seen no i've seen reloaded. the matrix reloaded was number one for one week and then got beat by bruce almighty <laughs> <laughs> 
And then the Matrix Revolutions was one week, and then got beat by Elf. Oh, <laughs> yeah, but Elf's good. But then again, <laughs> this is the time when Dickie Roberts, former child star, was getting number one at the box office. We were I, so I saw desperate. That weekend gang. That summer two thousand three lineup, man. It's so fucking sad. Like just thinking about it, like. This is definitely this is the League first summer where gentlemen. Well, yeah, this is the first <laughs> summer that we'd like legitimately processed nine eleven and said this is what our this is what we need at the cinemas in, in summer two thousand two or 2003? two thousand three uh, two thousand three because of production. Okay. Yes, yeah. Uh, so we got Charlie's Angels, Full Throttle, Pirates of the Caribbean, Spy Kids three, Cheapers Creepers two. Dickie Yikes. Roberts, former child star, American Wedding, American uh, which Wedding, is an American Pie sequel. Yep, uh, we got. Underworld. <laughs> we got a Texas Chainsaw Massacre remake. We got The Cat in the Hat. I mean, which was number one for two fucking weeks at Thanksgiving. Oh my god. Um, People are fucking gluttons for punishment. Yeah, it's sad, man. I mean, because the things that were already in place were in place by the time 2002 came around. So you still had the sort of the last, it's the last gasp of the 90s Hollywood. Right, and they were just, all they were doing was racing to a race to Twin Towers from any New York yeah, footage. Men in Black 2. Because uh, they had to, didn't they have to reshoot the entire finale because it was set at the Twin Towers? Oh, God. Um, and then you get into, by the time you get 2004, you really get, like, the sad shit. Like, that's when Trek 2 sweeps. It's when, you know, Fahrenheit 9-11 is number one at the box office in literally the middle of June, which is in fucking sane. It's sad. It, I mean, I don't know. But yeah, The Matrix is sort of this last beautiful glimpse of 90s Hollywood that at, at functioning at its best, functioning at the same, at the, like in the same way that it gave us the Die Hard movies. And it gave us like all of the good action that we all think about from that era. But I think at the same time, we're going to, we're going to see, you know, stuff like wild, wild West was also coming out at the same time. Oh no, I'm saying, I'm I'm saying this is, this is the potential, right? This this is the peak. This is the dream. What the promise was. Yes. This is, this is the kind of time where you could go out and fun shit and make this stuff. Cause you're even going to get weird esoteric shit like Phantom Menace. We're going to talk about next month. Which is now, I would say, as far as popular, big, crazy box office movies go, I would suggest that it's a little odder than The Matrix, honestly. In terms of, not in terms of its revolutionary political thought, but what George Lucas thought audiences could stomach. Yeah. Um, but we'll get to that when we cross that bridge. All right. Well, see you all next week. We wasted see enough you. of your time. Bye. <laughs>